From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland, your host for this week's episode, here with my colleagues Andrew Kenny in Colorado and Caitlin Kim joining us from Washington, D.C. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. We're talking weekly through Election Day about what's happening with the campaigns, what we're hearing from voters, and what it all means for Colorado. So we're seeing a new national interest in mail voting because of concerns people have about voting in person during the pandemic. And as a result, some states have moved to give more people access to mail voting. Yet there's still strong reluctance and fear, I would say, especially from some on the right about universal mail voting. And that concern has been elevated, especially by the president. He's been saying for months that it leads to widespread voter fraud. And today they want to give everybody ballots. And every place where they've done it, it's been a mess. It's been a mess. They don't know where they are. They don't know who they're sending them to. It's a terrible thing. Follow your ballot. So that was President Trump at a recent campaign stop in North Carolina. And Colorado is one of those states that he is referring to because we do send everyone a ballot. That's right. President Trump, as he often does, was making a very broad attack, which without a lot of evidence to back it up. But it was specifically singling out states like Colorado, where we do send out those ballots to pretty much every registered voter at this point. Um, so we wanted to dive into that and and talk a little bit about how this system has played out in Colorado and how this new conversation affects it. Colorado, interestingly enough, has actually had the option of mail voting for any reason that a voter wants since 1993. Wow, I didn't realize it went back that far. Yeah, that's when voters could first go out of their way and and request a mail ballot with no need to have an excuse for why they wanted to vote by mail. And since then, it's kind of evolved and expanded. By 2013, that's when we really got the system we have today, which is known as the universal mail-in system, where practically every voter is going to automatically get a ballot sent to them in the mail. But even before then, uh, adoption of mail voting was really quite high in Colorado and Surveys show that people here love it. The numbers are astounding. Yeah, I actually spoke to a lot of Colorado voters when I was there who, you know, raved about the fact that they could just sort of they get the ballot and they could just either, you know, they could send it in the mail. They could drop it off at a ballot box. Some would actually take it down to the courthouse. They liked having that flexibility. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And I think one thing that we've noticed and, and the president mentioned this is a concern that it's going to take a lot longer to know the results and that could lead to uncertainty and, you know, it could be potentially tumultuous. And, you know, in 2019, which was an off election year and so pretty light participation, we found in Colorado that uh, it did take a lot of the larger counties until after the election to process ballots. And so in Arapahoe County, for instance, it was three days to finish counting ballots. And so uh, election supervisors across the nation say we can expect to wait days, even weeks, yeah. potentially, to learn the outcomes, which I guess doesn't matter as much unless it's a really closely contested race. Well, you know, that reminds me of one important point, which is that Colorado is not the rest of the country. While we may have extremely high approval of that survey I mentioned, that was 96 percent of people told Gallup that they liked mail-in voting here. Wow. But we do have quite a number of states dramatically expanding their use of this. So yeah, there is that possibility that we could have long delays and and other issues crop up as we shift to this more nationwide. Because there's that expertise on signature verification and just 
Here in Colorado, yeah. Yeah, and just and just putting the ballots and feeding them into the machines. And a lot of people still vote at the very last minute, even though it's it's by mail. I've done that myself, so. Yeah, I like to drop it in the ballot box the day of. But yeah, Colorado's had decades to practice. So we've got it down. We'll see about everybody else. And so, Lynn, what were you hearing when you were out here? Was this a you know, on people's radars as an issue they were worried about? Yes, it was. I mean, a lot of it had to do with um, U.S. postal funding, which I think we're going to be talking about later. But I, I will say this. I do think that Trump's constant sort of negative drumbeat on all mail ballots, um, even though it's unfounded, is having an effect, including in Colorado. I spoke with Terry Duran and Craig, and he votes by mail, but he's not for the all mail ballots. I'm not for the just mail out all the ballots. What is it when you go register to get get your vote by mail. What's that called? Are you talking absentee ballot? Versus yeah, I have an a, I, I do the absentee ballots. Well, no, but you're Colorado. Colorado is all mail ballot. Everybody gets sent a mail ballot regardless. Right, but I'm for the absentee ballots where you go down and fill out the forms to actually get your ballot. I'm not for just sending it to everybody without without a valid ID and signature. Which I think is something we constantly hear from President Trump. Yeah, we're seeing the president try to make this uh, distinction between absentee voting and all-mail voting. In Colorado, there is no distinction because everyone gets a mail ballot. Other states, you may have to request an absentee ballot. And to be clear, they are matching your signature and there are measures they have in place to verify who's voting. But in that clip, I think you can see how the president's kind of messaging is is a little bit muddled and it's confusing people and they're trying to latch on to this distinction that doesn't necessarily exist. Well, I I did hear from a Democratic political organizer in Pueblo, Vicente Martinez Ortega, and he's working to turn out voters. You know, that's a Democratic area that backed President Trump last election. Folks on the ground, they're excited to vote. So they're excited for a reason. But also Trump's rhetoric around slamming the mail is working uh, even at this location. People are saying, I don't trust the mail or things like that. And it's very odd. That is a universal theme. People on the right tend to be a little more suspicious of the mail because they think it's going to open up a security fraud. But I'm sure y'all have been hearing this on the left as well. Just concerns that with delays to the mail delivery, that maybe your ballot won't get there in time. So uh, a lot of suspicion suddenly about delivering by mail. Right. And on the left, there is that concern about the Postal Service and its potential to disrupt elections. And that's playing out in this ongoing fight that's happening right now between Colorado's Democratic Secretary of State and the U.S. Postal Service. Jenna Griswold sued the U.S. Postal Service when national mailers were sent out, telling people they must request a ballot before the election. You know, you don't have to do that in Colorado. And so a federal judge agreed with Griswold and halted those letters, saying it, you know, it's spreading misinformation. Benta, did you ever think that you were going to be saying those words, Secretary of State for Colorado versus the Postmaster General? No. (laughs) And we are seeing this battle also play out in Congress, though, when it comes to funding for the U.S. Postal Service. I think everyone is aware that the U.S. Postal Service is, is, you know, sort of running out of money. And they've been asking Congress for additional funds. Um, You've seen the House, they came back during the August recess to pass a standalone bill to fund USPS to the tune of about $25 billion. That has not gone anywhere in the Senate. And this is still an ongoing battle about funding. And 
not just funding, but sort of the U.S. Postal Service service, right? Like there have been concerns about delays, especially when it comes to the mail. And you even had the U.S. Postal Service, um, the Postmaster General come in, testified to both the Senate and to the House about service and why things have might have slowed down. He called it sort of a they were, you know, they were it was a transition time and he expects it to go away. But this has you know, it has sowed a lot of doubt. What's an awkward time for a transition? Yeah, well, there's that too, but... And, and those delays have, have shown up. There was a, an interesting analysis investigation by the New York Times that used these postal tracking codes to show how much first-class mail in particular was delayed. And what struck me was that in the Colorado section of the map, you saw Western and Southern, those rural areas, were especially hard impacted. Yeah, well, I was also going to say the rural areas had been having postal problems, delivery problems, even before all this happened. I know that um, Representative Tipton, Senators Gardner and Sen- and Bennett had been sort of trying to prod the Postmaster General on, on delivery issues at West as well. So, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't, it sort of adds on to what was already a problem for some of the rural areas. I mean, I think I'm always reminded as we get closer to, to a big election, how technical the process is of voting. And, you know, it's obviously very local, but there's so many steps that go into it. And like you said, some of these issues predate the pandemic and the the, the current climate right now. And in 2018 in Colorado, 60,000 ballots sat on a delivery truck and they were delayed getting actually out to voters. Oops. And then in the most recent election, um, Adams County saw ballots mailed out with some incorrect information. So, you know, there are there are issues that happen. It's such a technical process going from from the Postal Service and delivery and, and through mail ballots and polling places. There's one thing, though, that has helped to solve some of those concerns. Colorado's embraced, especially since 2013, those drop boxes, which people seem to really, really, really like based on my experience. You know, that means that instead of having to send their ballot back through the Postal Service, folks are able to just go and drop it in any number of secure boxes scattered around the state. There's hundreds of them. And even the voters I ran into who were really suspicious of mail voting in general, they didn't even see the drop box as mail voting. Here's a Republican in Weld County named Jim Henry, and here's how he explained his view on drop boxes. That's just like a ballot box at at the polls. The The ballots go in, it's a locked box, and nobody can touch it until an authorized person can. And those authorized people are citizen election judges that are bipartisan, so you'd have a team of people going out. They would not be from the same political party. What was funny about Mr. Henry was that just a minute earlier, he had been asking, well, what would stop nefarious agents from stealing thousands of ballots and changing them in the mail? But you introduced that ballot box, feeling a lot more confident. And I think that that speaks to something that we don't know what the outcome would be of, you know, which demographics of voters are least trusting of mail ballots. So is it going to hurt the president with some of his base or and are there Democratic voters who also don't feel as comfortable using that? So that's maybe to be determined. I know I've seen some national reporting looking into that already. Yeah, we know that Republicans, at least according to the polling, greatly prefer to vote in person and tend to trust the mail less. But I think a lot of those voters are pretty determined to go and get their vote counted one way or another. Yeah, I think you can see that on both sides of the aisle as well. What I've been seeing from some people at some Democrats, because they're just a little uncertain about whether or not the mail, you know, because the signature verification can also sometimes be a problem. They want to make sure their vote is counted and they're talking about going in person to vote. Yes, people are determined. I'm wondering about the, the people who don't usually vote. 
Are, are, is that going to stay constant or will we have more of them participating? So I don't know. But, you know, Benta, you did a story that illustrated this surge of interest in voting and in participating about the poll workers, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, Colorado, I mean, we're, we're in a pretty good situation compared to other states where we have a surplus of people wanting to be poll workers otherwise known as election judges. So the people we were talking about that monitor the drop boxes and essentially are in charge of the the voting, the polling places and everything. So yeah, there's been a national push because a lot of poll workers are older and more elderly, and especially in bigger urban areas like Mm -hmm. Philadelphia and Milwaukee, uh, they need more poll workers. We don't we don't hear, and also we don't have as many people voting in person. But like your story said as well, um, the response one clerk said was exuberant, where people were coming in droves wanting to volunteer. So there's clearly a strong interest in shoring up the election system. Before we end this episode, I wanted to really quickly touch on the COVID relief package. Caitlin, I know you've been following that pretty closely. Uh, everyone says they want to get something done. How close are they to a deal? I think the short story is they are no closer to a deal. Although, as you say, everyone says they want one. Uh, I think most recently, President Trump tweeted that he he thinks Republicans should go big. One GOP senator said that, you know, Republicans are looking at potentially going as high as like $1.5 trillion. But for those of you who haven't been having to follow the minutia of all this day to day, which lucky you. <laughs> Thanks, um, by the way, Caitlin. We yeah. really appreciate you right now. I will say this just as a short recap. The House passed what they called the HEROES Act, which was over $3 trillion in mid-May. The Senate sort of decided they wanted to put a pause on any discussions about sort of going forward. And when they finally did, they introduced what they called the HEALS Act, which was around a trillion dollars. And disunity within the Republican caucus itself over that a price tag that high. They tried to pass something even smaller and very targeted, which didn't pass because of the filibuster. So now you're seeing sort of this how this disunity in the in the Republican caucus in the Senate caucus is going to be affecting the negotiations overall, because the higher the number the le- more Republican senators you're going to lose. And I think that's sort of what Mitch McConnell is trying to deal with. And he doesn't want to pass something that's mostly backed by Democrats and just a few Republicans, right? Exactly. So just to be clear, the issue we're dealing with is Democrats want to spend a few trillion dollars and Republicans can't even agree on one trillion. Uh, pretty much. I think the Democrats will c- will come down to about the two trillion. That's what that, that was Nancy Pelosi's last sort of offer was we'll come down to like two trillion. What has uh, what has Senator Cory Gardner said about all this? He's in the middle of a competitive repu- uh, competitive race. Yeah. So Senator Gardner, I, I will say that Senator Gardner, when the skinny bill came out, he sort of talked about it as being a, a step, an, another little step in the larger scope of COVID relief. He and a lot of other sort of Republicans that are in competitive races have been pushing for more money. I mean, they're not the ones that are holding back sort of the price tag, you know, and Gardner himself has said he does support additional state and local aid. He does, you know, support continuing unemployment insurance, although no one has ever been able to pin him down on what number, the amount. But he's not the one saying no more aid, no state bailouts. That's not that's not him. This is a tough question. But what do you think the odds are of, of getting something done? It sounds like the president's on board and, you know, various members are. 
You probably hate this type of question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. If you asked me a week, about a week ago, I would have been like five percent. I I will maybe I will maybe go up a little, about twenty percent. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi just came out recently and said the House won't adjourn until there is a, a deal on a package. But you know what that adjournment really means is people would still be able to go home, but they get called back 24 hours with 24 hours notice if there was a deal for a vote. Well, Caitlin, um, you mentioned uh, Trump's tweet recently in which he basically said, well, the Democrats are heartless in this negotiation, but also the Republicans should offer a lot more money. And I, I'm curious how that changes the dynamic because suddenly it's like Democrats and Trump calling for more money with Senate Republicans in the middle. And that just seems like a very odd dynamic. Well, it, it's it's odd, but it's also not odd because it's been the White House and the Democrats that have been making all these deals and sort of the Senate Republicans have been, I don't want to say dragged along for the ride, but they have come along for the ride. Um, and that's not to say I don't want to like Senate Republicans in the Senate itself has have been doing a lot to try and get these packages through, you know, the CARES Act passed 96 to zero. So yeah. that's not like they're not doing any work. But I think when it comes to this this latest package. And, and, you know, there are, I think, very legitimate concerns about the cost of everything, especially with the deficit, the size that it is. They don't want to just sort of throw money at the problem. There's, you know, it's a philosophical difference that, hmm. again, I, I'd say 20 percent. That's my yeah. number. Well, the president's never been a, a much of a fiscal conservative. So that's an interesting spot I, I, for your senators to be in. I, I would say this. If they said they announced the deal, I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> Ooh. Perfect transition to the final part of this podcast where we talk about something that, that stood out to us and made us think, wait, what? So, um, Andy, Lynn, either of you have something. Yeah, just this morning while I was reading up on uh, mail voting, I stumbled across a National Geographic article that details the beginnings of it in the U.S. And it actually first had its big trial run during the Civil War. Quite a few of the northern states decided they wanted to have their military members be able to vote while they were out in the field. And so they passed laws to allow mail voting by military members. Here's how the National Geographic article described it. The issue quickly became partisan. As Republican candidates supported the cause and appealed to soldiers for their vote, Democrats feared that Republican military leadership would tamper with the results. Remember, Lincoln was a Republican, and ideally we have like the Ken Burns music going behind my voice here. <laughs> they complained of Republican interference and accused them of trying to steal the vote, and as a result were painted as anti-soldier and saw their popularity drop. Wow. Wait, what? People arguing? The, the, Political differences? <laughs> yeah. No. We can always count on some things in life, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Politicking and fighting over how elections are administered. <laughs> well, that wraps up this week's episode. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleagues Andrew Kenny and Caitlin Kim. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. Oh, and if you're a Colorado voter, we want to hear from you. Uh, go fill out a short survey at our website to tell us what matters to you in this election. Go to CPR.org slash Colorado 2020. And if you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us. Like and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. And to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Caitlin Kim. I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y. I'm at Benta Berkland. We'll be in your feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. <laughs>